When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast what is up, everybody? Welcome to the DMBA show. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, my God. Post-Christmas hangover? I don't think so. Post-Nuggets win glow? Yes, please. We're going to be talking about some hangover takes from the Christmas Day matchup. Looking at that one through fresh eyes. Watching the game on rewatch before, right before the show. Got some new takes, some fresh perspective on it. We're also, I don't know if you guys know this, we're in Chapter 4. Of the season, I many, learned this this morning. How many yeah, cha- yeah. Is, I didn't woke know, up in chapter four. I didn't know this was a chapter book. <laughs> do you? You don't know how many chapters because you know it's not like you check how many chapters are in a book. You yeah, start you. reading it, yeah. and you kind of go like, okay, oh, there's a new chapter starting. Cool. Yeah, I approach it like a seven year old. It's a chapter book. You see how many chapters there yeah. are, and then you're like, I can't read a chapter book. That, that's my that's my daughter. She's totally <laughs> like reading is about number of pages you get through, not about what you're reading. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. Uh, and then later on in the show, I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, Something a little personal, but also something sort of introspective. I think it'll be kind of good. What uh, a tease. T- to help me do all of those things, a man who rolled right out of bed right into the show, Brendan Vogt. I've actually been up for a while today. That's the worst part. No, it's uh, it was pajama day for me at work today, guys. So. <laughs> Casual Tuesday. We should have done pajama day, honestly. We should have made it a thing. I, I just felt, you know what? It's like this is my Christmas morning outfit. You know yeah. what I mean? I just wanted to bust it out. I right. thought this, this is how washed I'm getting. I thought this yesterday. I was like, I've never owned pajamas. And I kind of want to buy pajamas for Christmas only. Oh, you should buy best. two or three pairs and sew them together so they'll fit. Every every <laughs> Christmas <laughs> Eve, my mom would get us. Yeah. Uh, I can just pajamas. buy tall person pajamas. <laughs> they do make tall person pajamas, you son of a... It's a great <laughs> Christmas Eve <laughs> gift is your new Christmas pajamas every year. That's true. Yeah. That would be incredible, just a man. Free, free tip for you guys. Uh, uh-huh. And over here, I got Harrison Wynn. I never wear pajamas. No, because I get very hot when I sleep. <laughs> well, I'm not saying to like, sleep every day. I have to be, Dude, I have to be completely cold to naked. go to sleep. Completely naked. No, <laughs> but almost. But almost. I thought Dude. he was going to say because I'm an adult. And I was Dude, ready Harrison to sleeps as he lives. Hot. hot. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I, I have to be like chilly when I go to sleep. AC up. You know. And then of course rounding up the show. D Line Co. You guys know him as Eric, though. So everybody. Wishes, dreams, hopes for, sings songs about, and writes books about having a white Christmas. We get a Christmas white. We get a white day after Christmas. Yeah, that's true. When the snow is just depressing. Oh, I thought <laughs> I thought you meant Dev's not on the show. Also, that one. A few books about that. I, I, I thought it was another joke about the Mavs Suns game. Yeah, so here, here we go. A lot of jokes on top of jokes. Um, you are right, though. Snow. I always say this period. Remember how I did my own seasons? I made six of them. Yeah, how many chapters? <laughs> There's six <laughs> chapters in that one. This is the in-between part before bad winter. We're at, we're rounding out good <laughs> yeah, winter. I agree. And bad winter starts on January second. What the hell? We don't get snow on Christmas. We get it the day after. What, well, what, what are we doing? Eh, that's anyway. the breaks. Uh, you know what though? You complaining about that kind of reminds me of ourselves yesterday. Oh man, it was tough. You know, throwing little fits when it's really just minor squabbles that we have here. 
And you're missing the uh, beauty of the snow and the beauty of nature. No, in all sincerity, you know, we were pretty negative on the show yesterday in large part because we were just bummed. We had seated the moral high ground on Jokic's shooting free throws. So it sucks sometimes. We we lost some of our righteous indignation that we love so much. Mm. And while I do think that's an important storyline, there were some really good things on rewatch to kind of get into. But Harrison, you weren't on the show yesterday other than from the arena. And talking to you upstairs, one of the things we talked about was I personally don't think Jokic was baiting fouls yesterday to get to his 18 free throws. I just think the refs, for whatever reason, were just calling everything or what have you. But you felt a little differently. I felt this way ever since he got tossed against the balls. And I've mentioned it on this show. I think part of his mindset, mindset has shifted to trying to draw fouls. I think it just has. I mean, his free throws have been up. Um, since then, is it like is there like a game where you say I haven't looked? I I'll think since right the Bulls game, they're up. Wow, and maybe part of that is him getting a little more respect after getting tossed. But um, could be actually. I feel like he's trying to draw off more fouls. I feel like some of the fouls he drew last night were because of that, and I also feel like a reason his field goal percentage around the rim is down this year is because he's trying to draw the foul instead of just make the shot. Um, I hate that. That's the fact. I hate that's what I think, but I just yeah. that's kind of my my feeling on on him around the rim and the paint over you know this last stretch of games. Um, but yeah, I mean, eighteen free throws. It's a it was a season high. It's it's a career high, and um, I definitely think he's more mindful of trying to get to the line right now. Do you agree with this? Do you think that this has been a, not just a one-game trend, but multi? I understand the idea. I understand logically. I can see what you're saying a little bit. I don't. I don't really see it. I don't know. Like it. Perhaps I. He's doing it in a more subtle way. Um, yeah. That is not as obvious as like when a Joel Embiid does it. Um, but I mean, he is like much more petulant. I feel like he he does seem to, <laughs> like his he does have like a. He's just like in constant like struggle mode with the refs at all right. times. So right. that could feed into it. I, I I hadn't considered that. I don't. I haven't seen it, but I I would never rule out what Wind is seeing. The the numbers don't necessarily bear this out. Following the that game, twelve free throws. That's a lot. Then eight. That's quite a bit for him as well. Then two, three, five, two. And then last night, 18. So to me, it almost feels more random. You pointed out, too, last night, some of it was that the Nuggets spent a lot of that game in the bonus. And there's an important distinction with Jokic in this conversation. He does not shoot a lot of free throws per game. He does draw a lot of fouls per game, namely non-shooting fouls. Those convert into, you know, atypical free throw. Like, the the free throws you're not usually getting when you live in the bonus the way Denver did. So that's some of it. I do agree with Wind on on some level that I think Jokic, and I think the way Eric framed it is yeah. probably where I'd agree. Yeah. He's engaged. He's engaged with this, yes. with his relationship with the refs, and he has been all year. So, it, what was just odd was to see him get the calls, whether or not you thought he was going for him, he got him. And let's not kid ourselves. He got the benefit of the doubt on him. He got the benefit of the doubt on sh- on shooting fouls that were actually on the floor. Yeah, I mean, never did I think I'd see the day. Right. So I know it, part of everyone's reaction to it, one way or another, is uh, from the Denver side of things, is just that this is not just rare; it's unprecedented. So right. we are processing something we have not seen. Dude, I know it's it's like it, what is in the 
pamphlet for like the superstar call, like what you're supposed to get, the superstar whistle we hear so much about. We've never actually seen no. or witnessed this, but this apparently is what it looks like, the superstar whistle, where if you are fouled, you get the call, which is something that Nikola Jokic has never right, right. got. Like all <laughs> we're, we do is, we're definitely not dude, used to all, it. All we do is just talk about like, wow, look at his arms. Right. Wow, look, <laughs> like, he's visibly bleeding yeah. and he shot zero free throws this game. How is that possible? Um, and you know, like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, come on, yeah. like, get the, let's get some makeup calls. I'm with it. What's funny is Yoke in the last seven, uh, 14 games, he's only been in the negative once. That was against Oklahoma City, where he was a minus nine. Outside of that, the last games plus 21, plus 16, plus 15, plus 29, plus 12, plus 21. Those aren't plus sevens. Those are plus twenties. Yeah, it's kind of disguised almost a little bit because of you know no game is perfect, but the starters and Jokic in particular have not just been winning their minutes, but completely and utterly dominating them right. since Murray has gotten back, and that's like the real story of the Nuggets. If, if we just kind of totally. gloss over it because of how much we just like uh, we focus on the storylines, the problems or whatever, but it's like the big storyline is the starters are murdering everyone well enough that these other things just are talking points on a podcast. One hangover take for me, fellas, to that point, and I probably saw it as we watched it, but Jamal Murray was the best guard on the floor in a game that includes Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Chris Chris Paul. What about Pods? Are you sure Uh, he was better than Pods? Honest to God, Pods was top three, and the other one was KCP, by the way. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, Jamal, I think, was the most assertive and dominant guard on the floor, at least offensively. I gave KCP an A-plus, though, but that... You know, just a reminder of kind of like where Denver is in the pecking order of things now. And the Warriors present a nice example because they have the championship pedigree, but some of those names we just listed off are a bit over the hill. And so you see a bit of a passing the torch where pre-title years ago, this would always be a dogfight. And part of it was that, would Murray be the best guard on the floor? And last night it was definitive, and, and so was Denver's starters gap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're 12 and three now when they have their regular starting lineup that's like not even as yeah that's pretty good i was gonna say i would have guessed even higher than that but and i mean you know the losses minnesota the thunder when they just blew that game yeah that's man barely counts and (sighs) then i think the rockets was one of the other ones okay but i mean 12 and 3 is 12 and 3 and in a lot of those games they had the plus minus differential that they had last night against the warriors where the starters are like in the plus 20s. Right. But, I mean, when Jamal Murray has a good game, they're pretty much unbeatable. Yeah. Like, that's just the fact of the matter right now. Yeah. I 100% agree, um, and that and it's the biggest story with them. But I want to get to a couple others here before we take our first break, because I only want to spend one segment on this particular topic. You know, the bench, going back and rewatching it, the, the interesting thing, man, I, I told you it sucks being a Zeke defender. Like, I never wanted this role for myself because it's not like I'm not like I don't think he's incredible. Zeke, agree. Zeke, Zeke doesn't agree. like to be a Zeke defender. <laughs> but the interesting thing that happened last night was Zeke was not the guy getting scored on on these switches. But still, the switching was the problem because they kept switching Zeke would get on to Chris Paul or one of these guards, and they would go inside to Dario Saric or inside to Wiggins. Um, who else was there? There's one more other guy. Oh, or inside to Kaminga. Mm-hmm. And those guys would be, be- uh, posting up Reggie Jackson, uh, sometimes Jamal Murray, but mostly when it was with Zeke, it was like Reggie Jackson, and they were scoring that way. And it's another way where 
the value of Zeke is almost exclusively in his ability to switch and what that does for you. But some teams, not many, but some have wings that are big enough to like, oh, you're going to switch that? We'll just go. And that's what happened in that stretch as much as anything mm. was the they were beating Denver's switches off of ISOs in the post against Denver's guards. Yeah. I mean, they were. Um, I mean, what's what's the next step to that, though? Like if if they're doing that, what's the value of having Zeke out there? It's true. Yeah, it, it like Malone it, made that very calculation during the game. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It like ultimately disproves the theory that having a fully switchable lineup is always a good thing. Like, but it, notably, he went to, we'll play Jokic longer, or we'll stick AG and MPJ out there, because. You could just as easily look at this and say, okay, you throw DeAndre out there. He's just going to get diced by the Chris Paul end of that switch. 100%. So there's a little bit of and a... he didn't go to him. No, he didn't. Exactly. So it's... I don't know, man. It's... It, it, yeah. You can see how how precarious... Like, for things to go very right, right, you know, you almost need a perfect set of circumstances. Yeah. I like... I really want Zeke to be good and yes. to be the backup center. I think we all do. It's just... He's been a disappointment, and I don't. I feel like he hasn't made a jump in his game from like the last couple of years to this year. I mean, it's gone backwards. He, I yeah. think he's a worse player, right? and he's supposed to no. be getting better. Yeah. You know, this is his fourth year in the league, and he seems like more unsure of himself now than he did in the previous seasons. And I was watching, you know, him last night compared to Dario Saric who was playing backup center, backup power forward for the Warriors at times. And, like, th there couldn't be more of a gap in talent than there is between Dario Saric and Zeke Naji. And, um, yeah, like, you, you talk about what Zeke brings on the defensive end of the floor. He switches. He plays hard. He hustles. And you also talk about how some of that stuff was negated last night. But then you look at the offensive end of the floor and – it seems like the Nuggets are playing four on five right. a lot of the times. Like, Zeke never gets the ball. You can't really play pick and roll. He's not a lob threat. No. And you look at Dario Saric, who's on a minimum deal for the Warriors, and you're like, that guy's got skill. I know. Like, that guy can put the ball on the floor and make stuff happen. And he hurt the Nuggets bench last but night. But he's also not a center, you know, like Dario Saric isn't. He, was playing, he wasn't even playing really center against them. He was posting up Reggie Jackson. Which is a different thing. I mean, he's almost more of a Jeff Green than he is of a Zeke right. Naji. But is Zeke really a center? I, I mean, maybe not, <laughs> as, as we're learning. I will say the other thing about Zeke that is frustrating is, and I'll, tomorrow I'm going to try to do a list tomorrow, a new style with playback. You guys, we used to do these playbacks, you know? Mm. There's a new way I can do playback where basically I can cut clips and then we watch them together on there. And what's nice is it's like doing the list live so that you guys can interact with the, the show and kind of ask some questions and we can go back and forth. So I've been curating clips throughout the week to be able to do that. And so keep your eyes glued. I'll probably end up doing that tomorrow. I'll announce it on Twitter. Uh, and then it, later on, we can post it on YouTube as a, as a clip, but it won't be interactive at that point. But one of the things that stands out to me as Zeke is, you know, it gets a great stop. There's one play I'm going to highlight. It gets a great stop by stepping up and pick and roll, getting big, and they throw the ball away. And they go in transition, and Wiggins in transition switches on to Zeke. Perfect. Perfect. Go down there and rebound. Like, get rebound position around a play. Instead, he goes and screens for the ball, and they switch Trace Jackson Davis onto him, who was playing center, and they switch it onto yeah. him. They go, Zeke, you just had a mismatch, and you brought back a regular. Why would you do that? And that's a mistake a guy in his fourth year is making. 
You just look like, around and go, my point guard has a mismatch. Perfect. Yeah. Why would I go screen for him? And he yeah. does stuff like that all the time where you're like, are you thinking right now? You have a little guy on you. Just go rebound right now. So it's stuff like that. that This is like where you miss Vlatko so much. Smart. Vlatko yeah. would, mm-hmm. great would point, absolutely Eric. take that position. I mean, I'm, you know, I think that I think the organization believes in Zeke in that they drafted him and they re-signed him. Paid and him. They, they paid him. Yeah, they they. He does possess, you know, we used to talk about him having like a prototypical jump shot. Like back in the day, we were like, man, this guy's jump shot looked like it came out of a factory. Like it's, it's perfect. Yeah. And he's just never put in a position to even attempt to make those shots anymore. Like he's, he's either getting out muscled or he's setting screens out high. And he's, then he's just kind of like floating around. It is. I just, you know, every time that I revisit this, I'm just like, this guy, he's just miscast. He's just miscast. Yeah, and it's just it sucks. It's not getting better. Um, it's getting worse, and that's in all in all of life. Like you should be patient with things that show progress, and as soon as they stop, then you should stop having faith in them. Like he's not <laughs> progressing. Like that's that's well, just it. One thing I will say though about that stint is that Chris Paul goes two for two from three, and they had a couple plays where it was like a couple just tough moments. The tough moments. I will say I. I am personally not ready to give up on that in large part because I don't think Denver has a choice. So I think the choices they're going to go to are going to actually harm them more than help. Um, but nonetheless, I, this next stretch is going to be really, really big for Zeke Nagy. And that's why... I mean, I'm serious because I know I know you're serious, but we have also said that like it's the song so that many never times. ends. Yeah. Well, here, but you, you're right. Let me say, let me just... say this. I will say this. I think this is the penultimate chapter if zeke is bad okay. it's the penultimate one i think there's two chapters to go right before denver has to show man denver has to make a decision on him and this next one is by far the easier of the two chapters how long are these up. chapters about 10 games 10 pages what am i signing myself up for here uh speaking of which i'm going to describe these chapters on the other side and as we look ahead now to chapter four chapter four of the season coming up chapter three Pretty interesting chapter. We'll we look set back. it down for the night. Take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Bet three six five is never ordinary, and at Bet three six five, when you sign up using the code DMVR three six five, first of all, we do all our betting on Bet three six five pregame show. That's where we're giving you all our bets from. That's where we're taking the Dev. lines from, the spreads from. Mainly Dev. Yeah, yeah by we we mean Dev. Yes. We mean Dev, and when we do it, it's, it doesn't work. But when Dev does it, it works It it somehow always works when he does. Uh, If you're tuning into our watch-alongs, we bet off the Bet365 app. That's where the play-alongs come from. And uh, you guys should sign up. Download the Bet365 app. Use the code DNVR365 when you sign up. They've got a first bet safety net going on right now uh, where you can place a bet up to $1,000. And even if your bet loses, you get a matched refund in bonus bets. Or you can place a bet of $5 and get $150 in bonus bets. So download the Bet365 app, sign up with the code DNVR365, and take advantage of of those offers and bet with us as well. Must be 21 plus and physically located in Colorado. Please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Man, the only thing this outfit right here is missing... Can I get a, the yeah, there's that that that's it. The only thing, thing this outfit is missing, Shady Rays. Can you oh, imagine so if I had true. a pair of sunglasses right now? Oh, oh, way better. Be so Super much appropriate. Would have tied it all together. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense, <laughs> especially with all the snow outside. Listen, Shady Rays is awesome because year-round in Denver, you see the sun. And even when it gets snowy, a lot of you folks hit the mountain, I've noticed, where you might need some ski goggles. Between the ski goggles and the shades, 
I humbly and strongly suggest shopping with our friends at Shady Raves. If you don't like what you got, you can exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop. They always have your back. And we've always got a code for you here when we do these reads. Go to ShadyRays.com, use code DNVR for 50% off. That's half off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Before we get to chapter four, I do want to spend one last take on Christmas Day. And that is, and I'm curious if you guys felt this or not, the NBA has owned Christmas my entire life. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. They no longer own it. No, they do not. Uh, my, my Twitter timeline is almost exclusively NBA people, like fans or mostly it's analysts. You know, it's like my way of, at least in theory, my way of staying connected to what <laughs> different analysts are saying. Yesterday, all day, my timeline was talking football. Yeah. It was wild how much everyone was talking football. And I just, that's one of my takeaways was one, I do not think the NBA put their best foot forward yesterday. It wasn't like, when you just put in a vacuum the slate of games that were there, I was kind of like, yeah, it's all right. That's an okay game. That's an okay game. That's an okay game. Um, it wasn't like great storyline. The games in particular, I didn't think were necessarily compelling. And then you're missing a few stars. Meanwhile, everyone's talking. It's funny because I don't follow the NBA, NFL that closely. So you just get on days like that, the narrative things. People freaking out about Lamar Jackson and Purdy and this stuff. And it was nonstop. So that's my last take is the NBA has kind of slowly lost its grip on Christmas to where yesterday felt less important than the IST almost yeah. as a day. Well, a couple things happened. So no, you don't. A couple yeah. things happened is that the NFL used to not play on Christmas and they through COVID that time they encro they like slowly got in and they encroached in and they're the biggest product in, in the United States by tenfold. And but so they did that for a reason. They sensed weakness. You're right there was COVID, but there was right. also a Goodell yeah, and Adam yeah. Silver could not be different and like like 10 years ago, Goodell was the devil, Adam Silver's, you know, whatever. And you kind of look, it's like Goodell's kind of gone and just taken well, a lot of market share. That's the point is that the NBA operated in a way that they thought they were unimpunable mm -hmm. on Christmas, that it was their day and everybody acknowledged it. Uh, but the other thing is that the, this is a much more meaningful time in the season for the NFL. Like, yeah. These games are actually much more... Uh, they are almost, dare I say, to the level of the in-season tournament for the NBA. <laughs> they're, they're meaningful, and they actually like have you know people yeah. playing fantasy football, whatever. So and they had it, a good matchup, and but, it was a potential yeah. Super Bowl preview yeah. with yeah. like the two best teams in the league. Last so week. it's it's just it sucks because I agree with you. Like the NBA fumbled the bag here. They just they they. I put something out on Twitter. Like I just. The way the NBA markets itself is so bothersome to me. It's so juvenile, and it, I think it like is not that compelling to a lot of people. Um, but yeah, but we love it. I mean, we love it, and it, it when it has its own time to shine, it's a beautiful game. We, I mean, you don't have to sell me on the NBA. It's just, a, I don't think it's like it it hits as widely as they want it to because they're focusing so heavily on the next generation of people, which maybe is smart. But you know what? To that point, Christmas is the time to talk to the normies, a.k.a. your uncles and cousins and everybody else. And there was a lot of that of just like, you know, ask, talk to them about the end of NBA. Like, oh, I don't really watch anymore. Totally. I stop watching or just don't care. And then you watch the games and they're kind of like, this is this game's kind of boring. And you're like, man, people do not like the product the same way that we do. It's almost like hockey. And the people that love it are so into it. Yeah. And the people and they're losing the margins almost. This is easily rectified by the calendar and just not having Christmas fall on a Sunday. Yeah, well, but it's not even that. Uh, I mean, there's some of it. That, that's some of it, I do think. Yeah, is the NFL going to not play if Christmas is on Monday? No, like they just no, play on Monday. No, they will. They just no, play no. on Christmas yeah. on Monday. Yeah. 
They just play. Well, they, they, they have specifically come in and planted their flag on Christmas, which was supposedly the NBA's biggest day. And the NBA is powerless against it because they don't have yeah, the they cultural reach that they thought they did in that way. And mm. and they're not trying to get like I I've I, I like really I can't be talked off this. Is this that the NBA has punted on this generation and they are focused so heavily on the next generation of fans. They talk about it through 2K, through TikTok, through social media, all the places that you, the normies are not hanging out. Right. Which, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't even think it's necessarily a flawed strategy. It just is true. Like, when young kids then grow up, like, if they grow up in a world where they're focusing on the NBA all the time and it becomes the biggest sport in their mind and then everybody else is no longer around, then that becomes the biggest sport. I, I, I just believe that's their long-term I, 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 only, I agree with you as well, but I think I'll disagree in that. I think chasing social media habits is so oh, I don't tough think it's, yeah, it's, because it's people change social media habits every five years. You know, like Twitter feels like it's becoming less relevant than it was maybe 10 years ago. And, it, you know, Snapchat was there, Instagram. It just feels like everything Dude. has its day. And then you're like, okay, now well, we're chasing is, a new trend. I mean, this is something that we specifically that's understand very it, yeah. clearly. It's like... We always kind of have to figure out where we're putting our message, how we're crafting no. our message, like all of these things. And to me, I agree with you. It's a very shaky ground, but the NBA is like all in on it. it the NBA just doesn't seem spe on Christmas doesn't seem special anymore. Um, like they did away with the Christmas jerseys. That's exactly right. They yep. didn't have the now it just seems like another random day in the regular season have a good point. because adam silver is just obsessed with having this in-season tournament being the only thing that's different about the regular season and if you think about the storylines that came out of christmas day the two biggest ones were uh nicole Jokic is the face of foul baiting <laughs> and joel Embiid is sitting christmas day because right. of an injury Dude, I mean, it was, it was yeah. a bad day for the league, no doubt. Yeah, Mo Bamba minutes, 26 minutes. Or yeah. something in a big game. You're like, what am I watching? What am I wasting my life on? Uh, we got to keep it moving because I want to talk about better storylines. So first of all, we are in Chapter 4. Um, to relive this, Chapter 1, Nuggets storm out of the gate. Banner night, destroy the Lakers. We're talking about they're the best team. Are they better than they were in the playoffs the last year? The future champion. The future, man. They, they were unbelievable <laughs> the first eight games or so of the year. Then Murray gets hurt. We go to chapter two. How do you survive now that Murray's out? What happens? And that chapter was all about the bench struggles. That was like the first real wall that the bench ran into. And it ended with that road trip that where they went one and four. And you're like, man, it was the bottom. They kind of hit the season bottom after being on such a high. Chapter three to me was about Murray's on-again, off-again return. <laughs> you know, like we thought, okay, Murray's back. This starts a new run. We're going to get to Yokmas. He gets hurt twice in that left ankle, then right ankle. And so it was this fragmented period where we saw Peyton Watson break out. That was a big storyline. Mm -hmm. We saw Jamal Murray kind of return and be a little inconsistent there. And more or less, you guys, we actually saw some consistency. The Nuggets have three three-game or more winning streaks over this stretch. They're currently on a five-game win streak. They had a three-game win streak and a four-game win streak in Chapter 3. So it was a very fragmented, I think it went better than we think, like in our heads. But at the same time, it was a little choppy. I think they just started Chapter 4 last night. Mm. And the reason I say that is, one, Murray's back. We don't need to get the back a meter out to be able to know that he looks... <laughs> Do like, you guys want to? Just I, I kind of call you maybe should. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we should. Uh, but also, because, guys, they play eight of ten games at home in this chapter. Yeah. And to me, that's what this chapter is. 
The Nuggets finally get an extended homestand where they only have a one-off road trip and then come back for another homestand, then a one-off road trip and come back. So they have this opportunity right now to really look like the team they're supposed to. And I would say it's an important one, but also one where, as D-Line has pointed out, they could win every game. You look at this next 10 games and go, worst case scenario, if Denver went 7-3, and I'd be so disappointed. I would be like, man, I feel like they let something slip. And if they go 10-0, and I would not be surprised because it's on the table. That's chapter four. And I feel like it's an interesting one and I hope a very fun one. Yeah, and we're kind of there in terms of what the Nuggets are poised to do. Everyone's made this point, not trying to claim it. You beat OKC, what is it, a nine-game winning streak at this point? Man. So Denver is, <laughs> they're basically there. It may have. It may feel like we've sort of been having this conversation for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we they're ready, broken. they're ready, but they are. And, and, and I think last night's a perfect example. Sometimes you just got to remind yourself what ready looks like. It looked this way last year sometimes, too. Plus 20, plus 17, plus 20, right. and the bench is bad. But the Denver's best five players are ready to run with any team they play right now. I think those guys are fully, you know, not just back on the floor, but back doing what they do together. And, and sky's the limit in home games for sure. Deal, let me give you some numbers here. So they have 10 games in 21 days. That's on average less yeah. than a game every other day. So they actually slow down quite a bit. Eight home games, two road. They do have two back-to-backs, including starting on Thursday, Friday, which is kind of wild. But they have three day games with three days rest in between. So they have a lot of big rests built into this stretch. And then lastly, the opponent winning percentage over the 10-game stretch I'm talking about, 38.4%. Yeah. They suck. They do suck. No, no. They're, I mean, they're going to go on a monster run. The, the, I was just thinking about that. I, I feel like the reason that we're all kind of like, we're like our enthusiasm isn't matching what the record has been over the last however many games is because I, Jokic is not killing people. Yeah, it's Jokic. It really is. It's he's Jokic. just like not, he's fine. He's fine. He's playing great. He's playing steady. He's playing smart. He's playing everything you could ever want out of any player that's not named Nikola Jokic. Like we want Jokic to be Luka Doncic. We want Jokic right. to come out, smile in your face, crush your team, embarrass you, take the MVP seriously, fight the way that we fight on his behalf. But what Jokic does is just he's just so unbothered by life and by the toils of men. He just goes out, wins basketball games, goes home, loves his family, pays attention to horses, does whatever he needs to do, but we're petty and we require human sacrifice. So true. <laughs> and he's not willing to give it to us because he's better than we are, but and then we're miserable on Christmas because we suck. <laughs> you know what? Can I tell you a theory on this though with you? Because I think you are right about some of the attitude and this or that, but I think there's a stylistic thing to it too. Floyd Mayweather, you know, obviously one of the best boxers we've ever seen. But he was a guy that never went out and just knocked guys out in the first, second never. round. He was a counterpuncher, and he always just let you back yourself into a corner and would slip out of it and just slowly. And I feel like Yoke's kind of the same. We want him to go get a first-round knockout every night. We're like, go knock it out. He's like, nope, technical. I'm wearing down his left side He's here. like, I only do that on opening night, yeah. ring night against the Lakers. Or in the freaking playoffs when yeah. it actually matters, yeah, which yeah. is awesome and way more important. Dude, he's so much better than we are. Yeah. So much better. Yeah. But there is, I think, something stylistic about the Nuggets in that they just slowly chip away at you and figure you out. It's like a boa constrictor. It's a slow kill, and it works, and it's honestly a huge win percentage, but short on those knockouts we want. Even, even you could argue still it's been for the best, too, because 
what this last stretch, the end of the chapter three was about, was not just getting Murray back on the floor, but Murray has the glint in his eye again. He's mm. ready to dominate. Oh yeah, dude. To the point yeah, where Murray has this. To the point yes, where over the does. last handful of games, I would even say he's so aggressive and so decisive when he senses a mismatch. He's even forced some looks against double teams that I think has been for the best because what this unit has right now that they were missing shortly ago was Murray, right? And Murray playing at a very high level and Murray going and taking results from other teams. Dude. And so with Jokic kind of taking a step back, it may all be for the best because right now the starting unit feels whole again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me ask this, Wind. What do you hope to see over this stretch from the team? This 10-game stretch, like, obviously wins, but there's something specific. Well, I hope Jamal Murray is the, the featured character in Chapter 4. You know, Might be. I, I hope he's the protagonist of Chapter 4 <laughs> to stay on this Wolf theme. 21. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope what we've seen in this last week from him is what we get over you know the next month. Um, because he is playing at a really high level. Uh, he does look healthy. He's playing over 30 minutes a game. He's shooting the ball great. I mean, Jamal Murray shooting 45% from three this season, which is by far a career high. That'll work. His turnovers are, you know, down. His assists are, are pretty good. So I hope he continues on this stretch. And then the other part of it for me is you have a lot of home games. Your bench usually plays better at home. Can this bench find a rhythm, find a groove at home, and can you know Reggie Jackson get back to close to the level he was playing at before this last week? Because mm. he's, he's the biggest key for the bench. When Reggie Jackson's playing well, I think the bench is probably going to play well, and uh, he's been bad these last several games. So, I mean, can a home-heavy slate turn the bench you know, right side up? I, because we're going to do players in the next segment, like which players are the main character, But because I, I agree with you about Murray. To come but, to me about MPJ. But the, <laughs> but the, the storyline in general, I do agree that I think the bench playing at home, that's a big storyline as a unit. Is there any other storylines to you that you kind of want to see during this stretch? Yeah, I mean, more specifically, I would love to see one of, I mean, Zeke take some sort of control over this. It is uh, the penultimate chapter. It is penultimate. By the way, props to you on using that word correctly. <laughs> Thank you. A much, a much incorrectly used word. Chapter five might, is going to be the last chapter if That's things right. go bad. It's just like yeah. the final, the final countdown. The final countdown for Zeke. Uh, uh, all right, I have a slightly different one. I would like to see a stretch from Christian Brown that restores, I think, some of the fan confidence in him right now. You mean Harrison? <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm gonna have to defend Christian Brown here because I I, I sense some angst among no, the fan no, base, I, and I, I don't I'm really get it. You <laughs> asked the question. You're the one that asked the question. That was more. That was more a question about Peyton Watson. Well, that was Christian well, Brown. Well, uh, I like this. Uh, no, but I do think because there are different ways to look at what's going on with Christian right now. Like we sort of said, okay, he's exploring his offense and he's running into some dead ends. Except there's one area of development that might be more important than any of these areas of non-development. Christian's shooting 41% from three right now. When no. We, when we get so crazy. When we get to the playoffs and it's eight dudes and it's, hey, Christian, can you do three things really well? And then this time also hit your open threes. If he can do that, 
that almost means more to me than anything we've failed to see him do over the last month. So mm. I am still in on Christian, and I think a month where he gets to play well in the ways he typically does would go a long way for him, the bench, and I think the fan angst right now. Dude, it's, it's, it's all about Murray. This is, this is the time for Murray to take flight. Like, he is, has been in, out of the lineup. It has been a delay waiting for him to be finals Jamal, to, like, connect the postseason to the regular season. And for him, like, there's something so much more damaging psychologically to do to your opponent. Like, to have that glint in your eye and to take bad shots and to make them and to make it clear to everybody that it doesn't matter what your scheme is, that the Denver Nuggets are going to rip your heart out. And that comes from Jamal Murray playing off of Nikola Jokic. Jokic, we never have to worry about. Like, he will dial... He's just in hibernation. We just know this. This is how it's going to go. But, like, Murray can bring that edge, that that extra something that, like, puts the league on notice, which is, like, I think also leads to our angst is that you know, like at certain points, like the Nuggets fandom, it, like we almost have imposter syndrome that we're champions. Like we're kind of like was that our card this year? Yes, we're apologetic. Don't we're like, apologize. We're like what? acting what? as though we have to. You know, it's like, well, you know, don't talk about it too much. It's like, it's like, come out and just like stomp these fools. Like look into their heart and tear it out. Like, and Murray has that in him. He wants it, and he wants to be an all star. And it, like, it's not it's, it's it's not out of reach for him he's missed a lot of time he hasn't played to that level but like there are players like i don't know devin booker who are precipitously falling in the hearts and minds of nba voters at this moment because the suns are a disaster and jamal can can get past a lot of these players and can get that level and it's just it's laid out so perfectly for him to do it I, I agree. I, I think we all kind of agree that Jamal Murray is like the top storyline here. And, and he, all the things that you just kind of laid out, man, are right in front of us. Let's go quickly here. So it started at Christmas with Golden State. That's a win. So already 1-0 down. Uh, Memphis this Thursday to me is one of the sneaky toughest games on this entire list here. Yeah. Memphis at home, they've been winning with John Morant. They're kind of in desperation mode because of how their season started. Is that a win? Let's yeah. Everyone. Yeah. The Nuggets are, are going to win every game at home. Oh. Well, then right after that, second I night of a never, back-to-back. I will never pick them to lose a game at home. Well, second <laughs> night of a back-to-back against OKC. Win. Now, well, I say win because of a revenge factor. I do feel like that's one where it's like, all right, these mm. SOB. We can't let them beat us twice at home. I'm, we might play them in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, then you have Charlotte at home. Come on. That one should be a dominant. Nuggets. This is one where we're like, Yoke's going for 50. He goes for 17, 7, and 8. And we're like, all right, well, Nuggets <laughs> win by 30. But yeah. Murray might go for 50. Yeah. Uh, at, then you get three days off, and you go to at Golden State on TNT. That's a good game. Draymond back for that one? I don't think so. I mean, Woj, Dude. you know, it's indefinite, Harrison, but Woj is suggesting it's a few more games. Oh, okay. But right. it's indefinite, guys. Okay. There is no return date. It's so – I can't – the Warriors are done. They're uh, done. They're done. Like the fact that the Warriors are so enamored with a tryhard like Pajimski, on a team that he's features good, like he's a tr- he's fine, dude. But the <laughs> fact that they're like focused on him with a team that has Steph Curry and Clay Thompson on it is so telling. Now you fly back from Golden State back to Denver for a second night of a back to back against Orlando. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Good defensive front court. Good defensive team. But again, home game. Then you get Detroit. Okay. That's a win. <laughs> uh, at Utah, that should be a win. You get three days off, and then you go to Utah. That should be a win. They're terrible. Yeah. Then you get New Orleans at home. Another one, again, should be a win. And then Indiana 
at home. A tough one, Brucey B night. Also, by the way, takeover night. Takeover night. Chapter four ends on a takeover. I love oh, it. A nice ending. Nice you look bookmark. at those and you go, Denver is going to be favorites, I think, in every single game except for one. I'll bet you they're underdogs at Golden State. Like one point underdogs. Mm -hmm. But that's it. Every other game, I think they're going to be a favorite. So the real chance here. All right, let's take a quick break. On the other side, more Chapter 4 talk. The protagonist. You beat me to it. But the protagonist <laughs> of... All right, we got through Jamal Murray. <laughs> Who are the secondary protagonists of Chapter 4? Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of DNVR. The beer of the month here at the DNVR bar is the Christmas Ale for a couple more days. Get it for $6.00. You can also try out some of our other favorites, the Avalanche Amber, the Mile High City, the Broncos Country Pale Ale, the Funslinger, the Juice Drop IPA, the Good Company Hard Seltzers as well. If you don't know where to get Breck Brew, check out their beer locator online. Just type in your zip code. Shows you exactly where you can find Breck Brew, no matter where you are. Uh, Breck Brew is the official beer of DMVR. Something else I want to mention really quickly that we've not mentioned. We have a brand new website. We have a brand new website that uh, we launched not that long ago. It is optimized, it is beautiful, it scrolls well. You can read Harrison Wynn's incredible work on that site. Brendan votes, incredible grades. It works, it's just very cool. It's it's all new technology and you should check it out. The website is revamped. It is very, very better, nice looking. Yeah. Hey, nice. you know we love Red Hawk Roofing. Why don't you take a closer look? <laughs> that was pretty good. At that logo, if it seems Wait, familiar did you, did to you. Did you do the actual sound? No, not yet. No. No, I'm saying is Adam the actual sound? <laughs> the actual hop. <laughs> and you'll see that logo for oh, those watching this. on YouTube in the corner there. If that looks a bit familiar, Nuggets fans, <laughs> it, it should. Those are the official Denver Nuggets colors in their logo, and that is not an accident. It's very much on purpose. How cool is that, man? How cool is that they that made their logo the same colors of the Nuggets? It's that's how much they, they're real Nuggets dude, fans, that's man. so awesome. I, I mean, I'm bummed they're going to get a letter a cease and desist. Yeah, that we just ruined yeah. yeah. yeah, You my said bad. the exact colors. It's not the exact it's colors. It's not the exact colors. Inspired by. Yeah. It's inspired <laughs> by those colors. And there's <laughs> nothing official about it. You yeah, know there's what I nothing mean? official uh, about it. Except that they're officially big fans, and they're officially... I actually love that detail. ...the best roofers in Denver, and they're part of the DNVR team. So next time you're looking for a new roof over your home or business, prefer to check out Brad and the homies at Red Hawk Roofing at redhawkroofing.com. Do tell them we sent you goes a long way for us and they yep. have a great logo i told him to his face you have yeah. a good logo I told him right to his face wow that's high praise that is high you. praise that is literal high praise for me i am a logo designer yeah. i've never heard him say that yeah, you also hate logo. everything it's actually yeah. pretty amazing so uh guys the protagonist is going to be jamal murray we talked about him so let's just skip over him because i do think that these next 10 games is it the chapter of jamal murray yeah <laughs> just, the, the, <laughs> the book of jamal dude. it's not the season of jamal it's not the year but this the chapter of jamal he is i don't back. know I'm kind of back in on the year of jamal it's murray. back right. dude it's right. so bad all right, all right, 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 right. Who is else <laughs> is it going to be? I'm going to give you guys my order, and you can just talk about. It. I think it is Christian Brown, a moment for him because, to your point, he's been a little bit clunky. I think guys like him settle on the at home, you know, especially when you get a home stand. And I look at him in particular and go, he's better than he's been playing right now. He's better than he's been playing. I think if he starts to play the way he was in the playoffs last year and Peyton Watson continues the trajectory he's on, we're going to start talking about those two guys as that two-headed monster, you know, defensively. And right now we're not, but I predict that over this chapter, we will be back to talking about him that way. I'm, I wasn't on the show last night. Like, what, what don't people like about Christian Brown's game right now? Well, that he can't I, score. Yeah, he's just, to me, Christian Brown is a dependent player. 
he's like a, a wide receiver with a bad quarterback. And Reggie Jackson is doing that bench no favors. So he's put in a position where he has to be more assertive in it. It's not his game. And defensively, like Peyton has kind of outshined him. Like last mm. night, they were attacking Christian Brown because he was too small to guard the post, which is, again, not necessarily a fault, his fault. But it's one of those things where it's like, man, if you're not making an, if they're scoring on you and targeting you on defense, yeah, and you're not scoring on offense, like, all right, this is a double negative now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been a little thrown off by people kind of being down on Christian Brown. Um, I mean, he's shooting forty-one percent from three. He's clearly taking a leap there. You know, he's averaging like double the points per games he did last year. And I think what you're seeing on offense from him is a guy who's trying to grow his offensive game and trying to just add a little offensive firepower to the bench. And he's averaging, I think, four drives per game this season, which is like fourth on the Nuggets. How is he doing on those drives? Do you know? uh, I think he's only shooting like 40-something percent. It's around the same percentage that Bruce Brown shot on drives last year. Interesting. He's trying to make stuff happen on the second unit. Mm -hmm. And I just think we're seeing some of the growing pains of a second-year guy who's not like a naturally gifted offensive player try to be aggressive and make some things happen on the offensive end. And I actually love how aggressive he's being, even if it's led to a couple offensive fouls here and there, a couple turnovers here and there. He's shooting 75% from the line as well. I kind of love how he's trying to make another step in his offensive game. Um, And it hasn't been pretty, but I like that he's trying to kind of expand it and I am a little disappointed that his defense has dropped off a bit but I think a part of what's being asked of him is to focus a little more on his offense yeah I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of a what's happening but also be what most people think is happening and I think it's all relative to like Brown's a weird guy and then he comes in year one and his floor is so much higher than almost any other rookie but to the exact point you were just making just in terms of his offensive archetype is he a guy who's necessarily going to take this huge leap from year one to year two? Probably not. And so maybe there's some like, why isn't he the best player off the bench? But I think you hit the nail on the headwind. And I, I was writing in grades today. Like I gave him an F in the last game, but I'm not worried about Christian because I think when you get back to the playoffs and when you say, do these two to three things really well, He'll he's going to do them. Yeah. And I think he's in a better place to shoot than ever before. So I think you hit the nail on the headwind. Um, and, and I like this call that chapter four, we could see a little bit of his stonks rising. Uh, to your point, he is the fifth most driver. You got Murray, Jackson, uh, Jokic, Gordon, and then Christian is fifth. But he's shooting worst on the team off of drives. He's shooting 42%. Yeah. So it has not been effective, but he is exploring it. And look, sometimes you have to be ineffective to learn it, and then you're yeah. effective. I totally. do think the effectiveness goes up. Um, let's keep it moving, though. I think the third protagonist of this chapter is MPJ. Yeah. Because MPJ is sneaky, starting to get his feel back. I think he's shooting more confidently and more quickly than ever before. And in the game, I didn't do this when we were doing hangover takes, but I did think that Porter read a couple different times. This will be on the list tomorrow, but read a couple times where he created opportunities for himself off ball, which is, to me, the big thing for him. He has to learn how to read the court. Where's my defender at? He's overplaying this way. Go that way. Now I'm open. He did that. I just think that he is primed for a really nice 10-game stretch where we look back and we're like, oh, damn, little 50, 40, 80 stretch from him on 20 points per game. That's pretty nice. Yes, I agree. I think he's back, and I almost don't even really care to look at 
what any sort of percentage from any stretch says right now, just watching him. His confidence is back in the shot, and with that comes a call-out you had last night, which is about how decisive he is. And one of the big, big, I think, hurdles for him earlier in the year when he was a bit hurt and Jamal was missing games and his role was scaled up. It's like, be more aggressive, but your your ankle doesn't feel great. And you started seeing him overthinking things, taking extra dribbles on threes that he usually just puts up. And right now, it's either, okay, I'm shooting, it's a dribble move to score, I'm putting the ball on the floor to drive, and if the drive is sealed off, I'm finding yoke. I'll throw it over nine guys if I have to. But he does one of those four things with great decisiveness. To me, he looks very confident. Wind had that great stat about the increase in his rebounding and double-doubles this year from last year. I just think he's ready to play that role at a very high level again. I think a lot of it was the injury to start the year. Yeah. Um, the next guy for me is Zeke Naji. And again, penultimate period here. If he is, if Zeke Naji is going to have a stretch where he gets it together, it's going to be this one. I don't think it's his last one because even if he plays poorly, I think the Nuggets give him another chance in Chapter 5 just because you have to right before the trade deadline and everything else. You know, after that, things get a little more serious. But I think that this well, is listen, his. Can you block John Stike? Just block his ass forever. Right. Um, so I think that this is a this is a port where uh, the Nuggets are going to give him a lot of opportunity. He's going to be at home. He needs to make an impact, and I think there's a chance that he does if he turns it around. That's why I think Zignaji is so interesting over the stretch because if he turns it around, the Nuggets are going to roll and it's going to be all good vibes. And if he doesn't, there is going to be one cloud that just hangs over. Even if Nuggets go ten and zero, if Zignaji doesn't get it together in the stretch, I just feel like. That'll be a thing that kind of like, up. Oh, yes, but. Yeah. It does feel like the one big hole on this team. Yeah. It, it really does. Like, you've got, you know, backup point guard, we think, figured out with Reggie Jackson for the rest of the season. Christian Brown and Peyton Watson, Julian Strother, they're in their own role together. And it's just that backup center feels like the one missing piece on this roster right now. And it's probably not going to matter into the playoffs probably right, right. It, it's probably not going to be a big thing but man it would sure be helpful if zeke naji became a guy it would be so helpful yeah. d do you feel like this is his last good chance <sighs> 10 home game eight home games yeah i mean like lots of rest if you're asking me yes like yeah but i, I mean i just don't know there there are factors at play which kind of lock them into having to roll with Zeke. It's just like, yeah. but they cut Zeke out. If you remember after the trade deadline or trade <laughs> deadline last year after the all-star break, they didn't play Zeke again because that was like preparation mode. The Nuggets aren't in preparation mode yet. Wasn't he hurt too? Well, he got hurt at the beginning, but then he just never came back into the lineup. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of that was he's not going to play in the playoffs. So what do we care if he plays these last five weeks? Like just right. keep him out. I mean, for sure. He's clearly like on a very short leash. He yeah. gets like little stints and like if it doesn't work, he gets yanked right back out. He's like the only he's the only nugget that's currently on that rotation. So it's I, I would say most assuredly, like nobody is convinced that he's the right piece. It's up for him to prove it. Then Peyton Watson to me would be next, but I don't want to go into Peyton Watson. I just think he's on this trajectory and it's gonna con probably continue. So I'm interested to see Peyton Watson continue to show us. And then after him, you guys will laugh at this one. I kind of feel Julian Strother and Jalen Pickett are next. And the reason I say that is Reggie looks like he's hurt. Maybe he misses some games. Like he almost looks like he might need a couple games off. 
there might be an injury or, you know, there just happens to be. I feel like we might get Jalen Pickett and Julian Strother elevated roles over this next 10 games. You're at home. You're going to probably maybe have some garbage time here or there. I, I'm curious to see if, if uh, Jalen Pickett gets another stint, especially if Reggie has to miss two or three games. I did wonder that as well because Reggie looked like he couldn't go and they were out of options and they were playing him anyway. Right. You know, So I did wonder if there's maybe a sort of reinforcements perspective they take. I'm probably not as excited for it as you are, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's a possibility. Uh, I mean, Reggie, to me, like D-Line brought up the point in the show, I don't know how long he's been hurt, if that's something that just happened last night, but to me, he looked like a guy that was actually a liability on the floor. For that reason, I'm a big fan of his season. So I, I think it's a valid point. All right. Dude, I walked out of uh, the tunnel f- from the locker room right behind Reggie Jackson last night. Uh, before the start of the third quarter, and like he could barely walk. Yeah, it was it was the slowest like a player has ever walked out to the court. Like he was laboring, and then he went right back in. <laughs> D line, we're like Nuggets are going ten and zero in this stretch. As long as Jalen Pickett and Zeke Naji play well, I was like, all right, well, maybe, maybe seven and three, <laughs> maybe eight whatever. Two, they, lose, you know? they lose the bench minutes know, every I, night. It's it true. Matter. It's true. Who cares? All right, let's take a break. On the other side, uh, we're going to wrap up by talking a little bit about getting old, history, and a documentary that DNVR just released just yesterday that you should check out. Talk about all those things. When you get hurt, Bax and Shanker is here to help. Bax and Shanker wins for Colorado families. They've been doing so for more than 25 years. You don't pay them any money until they win your case. No upfront fees, no fees while they work on your case. The only time you pay them is when they win your case. And they've won over $1 billion for their clients here in Denver. They've got neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Englewood, and Fort Collins. And they have more than 30 lawyers on staff. So they got the strength and power to win your case. Uh, Baxton Shanker, they help with all kinds of injury cases where you were not at fault. Car accidents, motorcycle, ride chair, pedestrians, trucks, they can even help you if you're injured at work. Give them a call, 222-2222, to find out if you have a case for free. Baxton Shanker wins. FOCO is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparels, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. Perfect for building out your sports shrine, man or woman, cave, or heck, even a nice set if you're into the whole podcasting thing. Foco always has our back for Colorado sports and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description for all non-presale items. Use the promo code DNVR for 10% off. Get some Nuggets bobbleheads in your life. Why not? Uh, back here, final segment here. And I'm going to, the guys were kind enough. I prepped them. I had a little bit of a monologue or so, or a little isolation here. I'm calling the KD play uh, to ISO. Are you going to lose this podcast? I'm definitely going to lose the it. Eric Gordon of this uh, podcast. I'm definitely going to lose Me. it. You guys are going to complain afterwards. You know, it's going to be very uncomfortable. Um, no, but here in a couple weeks, I turn 40. And I brought it up a couple times on this show already. So you could tell probably that it's like on my mind, as I think is natural. I don't know. Um, you know, any kind of round number, you kind of sure. think about different things and, and, you know, you kind of take inventory. And I think it's because, I don't know, you probably experienced this, D-Line's a little older than me, but, um, you know, at 40, you almost feel, you know, you're as connected to the past now as you are to the future. You know what I mean? Like, you're right in between. You know, when you're young, you view yourself as a person of the future because most of your life is still coming. And at 40, you're kind of like, I don't feel old, but I just yeah. feel halfway there, I guess. Um, and so I've been thinking about this, and one of the things I've been thinking about a lot during it has been... Um, Jalen Pickett. 
Jalen has been. I've been thinking a little bit more about history than you before. Again, I think this is another natural thing. When you're young, I think you're less interested in history, just as general. Like you can, everybody knows, especially with sports, you know the broad strokes of history, right? If I told you the Denver Nuggets, you like, all right, there were an ABA team, Larry Brown was there, and, and Skywalker, and you had Dan Issel, and then after that, Doug Moe. You kind of know the broad strokes of how these things connect, but you're not necessarily curious about the details of it. You're sure, like, I don't sure. need that or yeah. whatever. And the older I get, I kind of want the details. I'm almost like I'm becoming more interested in it. And we all probably know the reason. There's probably a little vanity in that. You start thinking about what's life like after you're gone and how are people, you know. So you think if I pay homage to the past and learn about them in the future, people will learn about me and learn about my era and different things. So I think that's sort of the phenomenon I'm experiencing right now. And through – we just had a documentary at – DNVR. It's our second documentary we've ever made, and I say we. It's really Ryan Green did a phenomenal job on this thing. He's the one that, that shoots and edits these. Um, Megan Angley, our Rockies, uh, Rockies reporter, basically. Our avalanche, avalanche, sorry, avalanche. avalanche reporter. Uh, our Avalanche Harrison Wind, if you will. And then we have Eric Lacroix, who used to play for the Colorado Avalanche. Had a long NHL career, sort of a glue guy. Uh, he's on our podcast now as a full-time employee. And more importantly, he's the son of Pierre Lacroix. More importantly to this story, he's the son of Pierre Lacroix, who was the GM of the Avs when they came over from the Nordiques and they came over. And I, of course, know of Pierre Lacroix. If you live in Colorado, you know about him. The same way I talk about you know broad strokes. He was the GM of the Avalanche. And he you know, built this team. And he was kind of a larger-than-life figure. But I, that's all I needed to know, right? I don't need any more details. But now as I get older, I'm more curious about, yeah, but what was he like as a guy? You know, what was he like? What, where was his life? And what was the before the Avs part and the after Avs part and this or that? Well, he just got inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in November. Um, how do I say this word? Posthumously. 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 Because mm. he, he, he passed away a couple, a couple years back. So he makes it into the Hall of Fame. Big deal for Eric Lacroix. Big deal for his family. And I didn't realize, you guys, how much his life wove in and out of the major stories of hockey. Because mm -hmm. you think of him as he's an abs guy. He's honestly kind of like Pat Riley. You know, I come to find out through this documentary that he actually... All of these Hall of Fame players and major teams and major rivalries and major moments wove in and out of his life. And then come to find out he actually is a phenomenal figure and a, like a really interesting person, not just like a typical GM. We saw The Last Dance. You guys remember Last Dance? And you mm -hmm. got like, man, that GM, kind of an asshole. Mm -hmm. Opposite. Pierre Lacroix was like everybody's dad. You know, including big name people like Patrick Waugh. You know, you don't think of him in, this, in that way, but it's like, no, this is like a father figure to me, you know, the way they speak of him. And it was a credit. It's a short documentary. Only it's three parts and it's only about 28 minutes or so. Um, but it's one of those things that like as I'm getting older, I'm watching about Pierre Lacroix and I'm so glad I got to meet know about him because it almost connects the, the eras, not in a way that's just dots, you know, but it's almost like, oh, I can see why that era of Avs hockey was so special and how all this stuff kind of came together. And it was really, really neat. And and I have to give a huge shout out because I thought Ryan Green, this was in Toronto in in November. I thought he did such a great job of bringing us the same way he did with our documentary. You know, you kind of feel like you're in Serbia when you're watching the Serbia doc or the vlogs or whatever. You kind of feel like you're along for the ride 
with us. That's how I felt watching this doc of, um, you know, on Pierre Lacroix is I just feel like I'm in Toronto and I'm around all these hockey people in these really neat hockey settings. And then I have and Megan, who does a phenomenal job, has really had an incredible year for us as like a rookie. She's like our rookie she's awesome, reporter man. and she's doing such an incredible job. And in this documentary, as they're interviewing people about who and what Pierre Lacroix is, people are opening up in ways that are so incredible. It's not just like, oh, he made a lot to me and he was so good at putting it. People are opening up these personal stories of moments in their life where he really affected them and different things. And you watch something like that and all of a sudden this little dot in a long string of, okay, the Avs history is told like this, that dot becomes this full three-dimensional story with characters and relationships and everything in a way that, I don't know, I just it, like, it affected me so much as I was watching it last night, the final product of it, which is on YouTube. And even if you're not an Avs fan, I just encourage you to watch it. Take 30 minutes to go and watch it because it was such a good story and it gives you an appreciation of a moment in time in Denver sports. It provides this like richer detail to it that I... Maybe it's just me being turning 40 and thinking a lot now more about history. But it made me like, I like the things that made me think about. And I just mm -hmm. wanted to give them a shout out because it was so well done and it was so cool. And it was one of, I think, the best pieces of content to come out of DNVR ever. Um, you know, anything, anywhere you guys want to take that, just kind of the, the wide. You, I have two young guys and one old guy here. Do you agree Not with that? that young. Which, which is my first off. <laughs> You're one of the old guys. <laughs> but do you find yourself in a similar thing where you... I'm not um, saying I'm a history buff, but I do think about it more than I did when I was their age. Well, I will say getting older, you recognize more patterns in life and yeah. the way that the universe is structured. And so you can see your own story reflected in other stories that have happened and human history. You're, the line being that, you know, those who refuse to acknowledge history are doomed to repeat it. Um, but it is nice. The, the Avalanche are interesting, and Pierre Lacroix is interesting, because he did come over, as far as we were concerned, just ready-made. It was just a microwave. You put, They just showed up. They immediately won a title. Pierre Lacroix was always a guy that was just making like very strong moves. Like He was not bashful at all. He was like the Matt Ishbia, but only smart <laughs> of, uh, of the, uh, the NHL. He always made the big move every year. So, like, their second title, I was Pat, much... Pat Riley liked that, by the way. Yeah. That's why I think Pat Riley is an interesting comment. Yeah, so it, it is... It's cool to, like... A lot of this... I mean, a lot of it I know just from being aware of the avalanche. But it is cool to just, again, to, like, see other people's experiences on Earth. And you start to, yes, compare and contrast and start to understand what this larger thing that we're all involved in... and. More than anything, the largest point you made is that, like, Ryan Green is really a an amazing storyteller uh, visually and without being heavy-handed about it. He stitches together clips in a way that are, like, entertaining, informative, um, and also, like, with great style. And so it's cool. It's, it's obviously worth your time. And it, it's more than anything, like, for us, for me specifically, like, I just look at the things that we all make, the things that is that all city is like the collection of all of the creative efforts of these reporters, these creators, these journalists. And it's just cool to see something like that, like the Serbia thing. Like we do things that, and when I say we, I mean, we, the collective yeah. are making things that are just different and they feel different and they feel, um, just more creative and more artistic. And I, I am personally really proud of that. Like, for the culture that we've all 
created and cultivated. So for that standpoint, I think it's awesome. Yeah, And that's part of this thing that I'm talking about, about through history, because I was even thinking about this, because you're right. When I watch this, it feels like Argy and Megan. You know what I mean? It feels yeah. like they're, you can't imagine anybody else have doing this because it would have been a different thing. And I was thinking even us, you know, have a place in this long history. Like I start to think back to Jeff Morton and Andy Feinstein <laughs> and, and Nate Timmons at Denver Stiffs and how they were... Yes. You know, a gap between the old regime and what DNVR and all city is now, they were sort of like the first step towards that in some ways. And then you go back to their idols of Sandy Clough and Irv and Joe, and yes. like there's this cool lineage, and you almost get more in, in, you see, as you mentioned, the patterns and the repeating patterns to all of these different things. Um, so anyway, I just thought it was interesting um, because Pierre Lacroix is not somebody I was seeking out to learn about. But I'm glad I did because now there's this like three-dimensional story to that abs team that is so interesting. And it's the interviews on there are Ray Bork and Joe Sackett and Peter Forsberg and Patrick Waugh yeah. and a bunch of guys I don't know who sound like they're really important in the <laughs> hockey world. And, and and also Charlie Lyons, Didn't right, who brought the abs. Pierre Turgeon. Uh, brought the abs to. There was an owner before. guys the, with great accents. The <laughs> owner before the Cronkies. And it's so interesting to hear his reasoning for... Honestly, that story connects to Denver in a lot of ways about bringing the Avs here and then creating a new stadium because it fits the two-team. Like, there's really interesting stuff there. So I encourage you to watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. Even if you're not getting old, you might enjoy it. Everyone is literally getting old. <laughs> well, if you're not old yet, you know. Oh, oh yeah, that's If you're true. not yet old. All right, hit that outro music for Alyssa. Uh, we're off tomorrow, guys. We're going to celebrate Christmas. <laughs> are we? <laughs> we are? Yeah, we're so <laughs> Did you know what we said? We're taking Christmas on you, Wednesday this year? Did you get me anything? Uh, <laughs> I didn't say together. Independent <laughs> uh, of each other. Uh, but we will be back Thursday because guess what? The Nuggets play on Thursday as they continue along. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Chapter 4 of the season. Hit the like button on the way out, everybody. Let's go. We all silly like the mayor. 